know if you've realized this or not, and I've been thinking about this in light of a lot of current events and things that are even happening in my homeland. Now, I was born in Long Beach, so I am an American. My mom's side of the family is from Sweden. And so every Christmas Eve, we do the Swedish smorgasbord. And, you know, my mom and my aunt now that my, you know, my grandma has passed away, uh, drive up to San Pedro and they go and get all the Swedish uh, delicatessen and all of those things that we would, uh, you know, have as a part of our Christmas Eve every, every year. Ever since I was a little kid, the Swedish meatballs and you name it. And if you look at me, you know I can put away some Swedish meatballs. And we enjoy that time with the family. But if you have ever noticed this, I wonder if you've noticed this, that there is a real danger of convenience. Convenience can be a very dangerous thing. And I don't think we realize it because we associate a life of ease with convenience. We, we look at convenience as some of the main, you know, I would say the determining factor for whether or not we do things often. Is it convenient? Uh, do I find it convenient? Does it work with my schedule? Is it easier for me? Does it make my life better? You know, how many phone numbers have you memorized in the last five years? Uh, probably zero. Why? Because your phone memorizes them for you. It's a convenience feature. You know, I was telling Hudson and, you know, I remember Harry looked at this thing. It was something that was a, a relic of old. It was a pay phone. And he said, what is that? And I said, well, that's actually a phone. And he's like, no way. They have a phone in the middle of a parking lot. Yeah, that's a phone right there. Uh, what happened to those? Well, we don't use them. We have cell phones now. We have smartphones. And that means that we are becoming dumb as our phones are becoming more smart because we don't have to use them. But as I was looking at this powerful distraction of convenience, up popped in the news last week that Sweden is now looking forward to implementing microchips for vaccine passports in my home, my homeland. I'm like, the Swedes, what are you guys doing? And you look at some of the rationale behind it, and you think, well, it's just convenient. It makes my life easier. You know, I don't have to worry about forging, you know, a vaccine passport. I don't have to worry about losing a genuine one. I don't have to worry about whether or not I have my phone on me or not. You know, I can just get a chip implanted in my right hand. And when I walk in, it gets scanned and then I can buy and then I can sell and I can trade and I can live. And all of a sudden, you start to think about what happens in the book of Revelation later on down the road. We're not there yet. Where the Antichrist steps on the scene and causes every person alive to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. This number is the 666 that, you know, you've heard of, you know, since forever. Uh, this mark is directly related to the worship of Satan. It is the, the, the direct connection to the worship of the Antichrist. So I'm not saying that what's happening in Sweden is the mark of the beast. What I am saying is that convenience factor is moving us straight to where the Bible said we would eventually be. And it makes sense. And we've seen it. And so for nearly a couple thousand years now, the Bible has already said that there will come a point in modern history where you will have to receive a mark on your right hand or your forehead in order to live your life on this earth. Now, we're not there yet. And thank God there are a lot of people still in our country that are fighting against such things. But we understand that it's going to be a convenience factor. 
It's something that just makes sense. You know, once I started putting my credit cards on my phone and using Apple Pay, it was just easier. You know, and what was before that? Well, I stopped carrying cash because I just had a card and then I have to worry about loose change and who wants coins, you know, filling up their pockets. It was a convenience thing. And so as much as we have thought, oh, this is a sinister thing, and if you ever watched the 1980s Left Behind movies, you know how eerie it was and giant barcodes on your face, and, you know, it was because they didn't have the technology then. But now you're looking at how easy it's become and how the world is ushering, getting ready to usher in one world ruler, one world currency, one world health system, one world eventually religion, too. And that's why when you see, even in Christian circles, the, the watering down of core beliefs, as we start to see the world infiltrating the church, you have to understand that this ecumenical movement must take place in the future where everyone will come under the leadership of a man who will stand in the temple Three and a half years after the tribulation begins, he will lead the nation of Israel in rebuilding their temple, and he will declare himself to be God. And that is what is called by Daniel the abomination of desolation. And this is a very, very serious thing. And so Christians, we need to be aware of what our Bibles say. God outside of time has given us his word so that we might not be caught unaware, that we might be ready for the things that are coming. And there is always a counterfeit to every truth that is found in the scripture. And so as we celebrate in this month of December, the real reason for this season, the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, Jesus said that one will come in his own name and him you will receive. That was speaking of the Antichrist. They rejected Jesus, the one born in a manger of the Virgin Mary, the one who was born to save his people from their sins. They rejected And later on down the road, we'll see that because of convenience, people will welcome the work of the devil. And so in light of this, I thought, well, how many of us have ever been inconvenienced? How many of us have ever found ourselves in a place where maybe we got our nose out of joint because we had to do something that we didn't want to do? Like, I can't believe I have to do this. This is ridiculous. I wonder if you have ever said that. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I wonder if you're thinking that right now as you sit in church. I don't know. But we're in those places now where we need to realize that inconvenience is not a bad thing. And that God will often use things that inconvenience us in order to have his perfect work accomplished in our life. Something that's very unpleasant to do. You know, somehow in the world, you got wrangled into something or it crept up on you or you found yourself in a bad spot, so to speak, and it was a very huge inconvenience. You know, the dictionary defines inconvenience as this, something that is not easily accessible. It's inopportune. It's untimely, not suiting for one's needs or purposes. And it's something that causes discomfort or trouble. Now, I wonder if, in light of that definition, if any of you have ever been inconvenienced, where you have found yourself in a place where this is not suitable. This is causing me discomfort. This is a whole lot of trouble. Some of you are saying, well, you know what, Garrett, you have just described my life every single day. 
I mean, being inconvenienced is not a fun thing to have to experience. I have seen in my own life that it is those times of inconvenience where the worst part of me can come out. It's at those times where we're inconvenienced that the flesh cries out our sinful nature for all intents and purposes, the worst part of who we are. You know, Christmas comes around. And here we are on the countdown. And it's, a, it's really, it's such a special time for gift giving and helping people. You know, that time for people to receive help and blessings and, and gifts and, you know, parking spots. But, you know, just not from me. I hope that you're blessed. I hope that all of your needs are met. But I got my own things I need to take care of. I mean, could you imagine if you were out at the mall, if you've been, you know, to South Coast Plaza or Mission Mall or, you know, wherever you might be shopping at, and you're waiting nearly 20 minutes for a parking spot. And just as somebody backs out and you're about to pull in, somebody comes down the aisle and sees somebody backing out that has not seen you park there and pulls right in. I mean, how can people do that kind of thing? Like, how do people just snake people's parking spots like that all the time? You put in the work, you've been as patient. It's really the work of the Holy Spirit that was, you know, moving through you as you were waiting for that person to finally get out of their parking spot. I mean, have you ever seen those people that get in their car and then they sit there? And then you're waiting and you have blinkers on and it's packed out and people are zooming in and out and they're there. You even ask them, are you leaving? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm leaving. And they get in and they shut their door and they sit there and then nothing happens. And then you look at your spouse and you're like, did I just misunderstand what's happening there? I mean, what's going on? What's happening with that guy? You know, what is he doing in there? Is he eating lunch while he's sitting in his car? And he's like, he could have just told me he's going to leave 30 minutes later. Go to Costco. And then you start rejoicing that all the frantically backed up lines, that there's an open lane. And you know what, how amazing it is when that person comes up and there's like, if you've been at Costco during the seasons of Christmas, you know how backed up it can be. And some guy will come and tap you on the back of your shoulder and say, hey, I'm opening up this lane over there. And they, they take the little white closed, uh, you know, sign off. And there you are. And there's just one person in front of you and you rejoice. You're like, Lord, you are so good to me. Thank you, Lord. And then you didn't realize that the person that was in front of you actually had 533 items that was coming with two other people behind you. And you sit there and think to yourself, how is that possible? You know, we love Target. Target is a great place for us to go do family outings. Except family outings at Target can get very expensive really quick. I've, I don't think I've ever heard more honking at Target than I have lately. And it's not like, beep, beep, you know, just trying to be nice. Merry Christmas to you. It's just people honking all over the place. You know, full on laying on the horn. This old, this guy almost hit this old lady right in front of me who was walking. She was taking too long and just rested his hand on the horn. You know, and pastor or no pastor, his window was down. I almost felt it reaching and grabbing him out of the car. It was so ridiculous. I mean, what people do with their shopping carts is just downright rude these days. 
slamming them into cars, seeing if you can make them in, you know, to the overflowing, you know, parking spots for those shopping carts when they're already overflowing and smashing into cars. And it's like, Merry Christmas to you too. And then we look at the Christmas story. Where did all of this stuff come from? How has it all been twisted? Where do we get this idea that convenience must always be something that's from the Lord. As Christians, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you wonder, you know, is this convenient? Because if it's convenient, it must be of the Lord. Lord, it just seems like you've part, you parted the Red Sea for me, Lord, thank you. And it, this must be from you. The very first Christmas was actually very inconvenient. It was a real put out. If you remember it properly, the Son of God, who was going to change the entire world, was born at a very inconvenient time under very inconvenient circumstances. Mary was carrying Jesus and she was very, very pregnant. You know, the Lord adds to the church those that are being saved and those that are being born here at this church. A lot of babies that are coming. Having four of my own, I would say that I'm probably pretty experienced on what it's like to have a pregnant wife and to have kids brought into this world. And pregnancy is a very fascinating thing. And it's a challenging journey for both the wife and the husband. I mean, you learn a lot about yourself. For those of you that are married and have had kids, you learn a lot about yourself and each other. It's a real special time. You know, Joseph was dealing with a very unique pregnancy and no doubt was discovering the right and the wrong things to say to his pregnant wife. Every husband has to learn those things. You know, there's an old story of a leader uh, from, there was a future father support group and there were dads who were expecting dads would get together and learn how they could best take care of their wife during the delivery and uh, postpartum and all of those things. And really, from the beginning of the pregnancy through the nine months of she went full term, uh, and just how to be a good husband during those times, a good father. And really, this guy, he proposed this hypothetical question and just said, you need to hold on to all of this, you young men. If you are ever asked what the difference is between a pregnant woman with a nine-month baby inside and a supermodel, you need to know that the answer is nothing. And that's if you know what's good for yourself. Watch how you communicate. Watch how you speak. Watch how you interact. Be sensitive. Be kind. Be understanding. Understand that your wife is going through these changes. Your life is about to change as a man as you become a father. There are a lot of things that maybe never bothered her before, will bother her now. You have to be able to roll with that. You know, we joke about it because when Hudson was born, Ruth looked at me as if every pothole in the road was my fault, that I put it there as we drove to Hogue Hospital. Morning sickness is a terrible thing. It's a very hard thing, feeling nauseated all day long. Mary was very pregnant, and her husband Joseph were living in a town called Nazareth. And these two were in for a very interesting 
parenting experience, to say the least. They were both told that the child they would have would be the Son of God. You know, you don't see that every day. Last week, I read to you from Isaiah 9-6, this same child that was referred to as, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. This is who they would be ushering to a little city called Bethlehem. I mean, can you imagine God becoming a human being, having earthly parents? Could you imagine being the parents of the one who would have the government upon his shoulders, the one called Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace? This is what we celebrate at Christmas. How about that for first-time parents? I mean, you all think your first kid's amazing, but come on. How about this? Some of you may fill in over your head. You know, we have some people that work in the county of Los Angeles that are having some really hard times right now. There are first responders, first, you know, frontline guys. Some of us may feel in over our head. Look at what Joseph and Mary had to deal with. Could you imagine what it must have been like to be told by the angel that you were going to be carrying the Son of God, the child of the Most High? Could you imagine as a young couple, let's just say, you know, they had radio back then and you were hearing all these songs about this child and you realize that's my child. Maybe they'd be wondering why there was so much to do about a little town of Bethlehem. Or maybe they knew exactly what Bethlehem was all about because they knew about the scriptures pertaining to where the Messiah would be born. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That's your child. Mary, Joseph. Or maybe they had forgotten about that passage of Scripture. Maybe they weren't aware of it. In all fairness, it is the exception to the rule to be given everything in advance. I like everything in advance. You do as well, I'm sure. Just lay it all out, and I will understand exactly what's going to be taking place as I take one step at a time. And might I even add speculatively, if they knew or had recalled that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, maybe they would have made arrangements to be there in advance so that they could find a place to stay and prepare for the child to be born. Where they were in Nazareth, Bethlehem was 70 to 80 miles away. I mean, could you just imagine, for those of you, and we had our one of our, uh, our families, the Simkoviches, had their little baby. Could you imagine how amazing it would be to get your room all ready for your child? 
all the clothes, all the toys, maybe a little rocking chair of some sort, a nice little crib. You know, as an expecting mother, you're nesting and you're getting everything ready for the greatest child to ever be born into it. And that's not just what every mother says. This is legitimately true. And just as you're in your final countdown before giving birth, we read now in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. You gotta be kidding me, they must have thought. Not now. Not now, Lord. I mean, practically speaking, what an absolute inconvenience this must have been to have to travel at Christmas time to a place that they have not desired to travel to. Well, how do I know you might wonder it was Christmas time when the decree went forth from Caesar? Well, it was because it was at the time of Christ's birth and we know that that was Christmas time. So I'm glad we got that taken care of. And so you're getting ready. to have that baby, and Caesar, who is known as Rome's first emperor, decreed that everyone under his rule should be registered and taxed. And in order to keep the records accurate, every man had to travel to his place of birth, check in with those birth records. And once they were registered, they had to pay a financial tax to the Roman Empire. Again, another massive inconvenience to have to pay extra taxes at Christmas time. If you look at the inflation that's in our country right now, you think, what an inconvenience to have to pay this much more money at Christmas time. But how could this inconvenience for Mary and Joseph be a part of God's grand plan? Because none of us enjoy being inconvenienced. But it does seem that God will allow or he will deem it best for inconvenience to be a tool in having his work accomplished. And I feel like this has been a thread throughout even this last year where we have seen that some of the greatest works of God have taken place in and through the lives of his people, you and me. When our comfortable state has something come up and interrupt that state at the most inopportune time. It causes discomfort. And we could honestly say, I mean, not even having a bad attitude, we could just honestly say that we don't need that kind of thing right now. I don't need that right now. This is not what I want to be doing. I mean, interestingly, the man ruling the known world was inconveniencing Joseph and Mary, but he was not changing God's plan for them. I had some not good coaches when I played sports. I've had some bosses that weren't good. And often you can blame them and say, look what you've done to mess my life up. Look what you did to make my life miserable. Look what you did to ruin everything. And we give these individuals too much credit, especially as a follower of the Lord. 
Because there's not a boss that is going to inconvenience God's plan for your life. There's not a legislation that's going to thwart, thwart God's plan for your life. There's not a coach. There's not somebody in control that's going to thwart God's plan for you. Not going to change it. You may become inconvenienced. You may not like it. But God is still on the throne. And the Roman emperor, Caesar, was actually the instrument used by God in accomplishing his perfect plan, not only for Joseph and Mary and Jesus, but all, for all those that would be connected to his birth. Do you realize that? Everything that we read of of the shepherds watching their flocks by night, the angels proclaiming the glory of God, going to the, the city of David, Christ is born. If you see everything that we read of the Christmas story, even us today, there were travel arrangements that needed to be made, and Mary and Joseph hit the road. They did what was not easy. They did what was an inconvenience. And they trusted the Lord to do so. As I mentioned, 70, 80-mile journey, a four-day journey, if you're hitting 20 miles a day, which you could imagine on dirty, rocky roads, on a donkey, with a wife who is very pregnant. That's not a very, you know, easy journey. That's not a road you're going to travel fast. Maybe Mary and Joseph thought that the prophet Micah got it wrong. Or that prophetic verse that I read to you earlier from Micah 5.2 didn't pertain to their son. Because here we are in Nazareth. It doesn't make sense for us to travel 80 miles to Bethlehem. So, I mean, this Old Testament prophecy, maybe it pertains to something else. But it didn't. The Lord's word endures forever. Forever. It doesn't change over time. It doesn't bend. It doesn't accommodate. It's actually the rule by which every man's actions, every society's choices is judged. The same God yesterday is the same God today and is the same God tomorrow, and his word endures forever. And so Caesar sends out this decree, and then all of a sudden, that prophecy of Micah 5.2, which they wondered, oh, maybe this pertains to something else, it dispelled all doubt. All of a sudden, now in their own personal relationship with God and with each other, are seeing the scriptures come alive in front of their very eyes. We fail to mention often at the times of the Christmas story, that they knew the word of God. The Old Testament is the same Old Testament that we have. The Pentateuch, the the law of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, major and minor. Now all of a sudden they are seeing the hand of God move the mightiest hand on earth, Caesar, to accomplish his work. And it was now, by God's leading, that God's son and his earthly parents would head to the town of Bethlehem. And there's no making this stuff up. There they are reading Micah 5.2. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. 
Later on down the road, you know, some two years of uh, a two year window of time, King Herod will read that same scripture and know that to be true of the Messiah being born. But he will try to kill him, kill Jesus. So the Roman emperor says, guys, you're going to Bethlehem. Mary, Joseph, we have a prophecy to fulfill. You're heading there. Now, he didn't know that when he was decreeing it, but God is true to his word. And so we read in verse 4 of Luke chapter 2, And Joseph also went up to Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, and to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, verse 5, who was with child. You know, there's a lot to be said about a good man who leads his husband or as a husband leads his wife and his kids. A good man who is a good husband leads his wife and his kids. A good man is not a perfect man. They do not exist. But somebody that desires to seek the Lord will by his very spiritual nature be a leader for his wife and for his children. And I know that we always look at, wow, you know, Mary is this chosen woman, but Joseph was a chosen Stepdad, if you will. A caretaker, a provider, an earthly father figure. Joseph led his family as a good husband and a father. He obeyed the laws of the land. Joseph's willingness to be inconvenienced would lead to great things ahead. In all honesty, Joseph could have not obeyed the law. He could have went on the run, but he did not. He did the difficult task. He manned up. I respect that. And I think that that is honorable. He led Mary to where they needed to go. So not only did he do what was inconvenient, what was difficult, he was actually a part of the work of God's word being fulfilled. You know, the Bible states that Joseph was just a man. And here we see that he's doing hard things. The type of man that does hard things, I think, is a good man. There is such a danger of convenience. There is such a danger of ignoring the difficult aspects of God's calling. And yes, this isn't the only time that we see Joseph leading his family well. At Christmas, sometimes traveling to your hometown can be a very difficult thing. You know, I was able to talk to a couple families on the way out last Sunday, and they were talking about their travel plans for, for Christmas. And, you know, one of them just mentioned, well, we don't know how it's going to go. We don't really talk to them. You know, we're not sure what's going to happen. You know, that can be a challenging thing. Sometimes you don't want to head back home. You know, maybe you split time, as I mentioned earlier, with your spouse's family. You alternate each year. You know, maybe you have the types of families, you know, let's just say that, you know, when you're alternating visiting families, it's only every other year you have a good Christmas. You're like, oh, I don't want to do this. I would like to propose to you today that as a follower of Jesus, what may appear as a great inconvenience and something that you're not looking forward to do, not looking forward to doing, that you would see that it could be the very thing that God has for you to do. And that it actually is a part of his plan. 
that an inconvenience may be the very track that the Lord would have you run upon so that his work would be accomplished. And how you handle that will speak of your character and your obedience to the Lord, even as it did of Joseph. I mean, who knows but God alone what great things can come when you least expect it from your least opportune experience. I wonder what's even going through your minds today. Are we seeking a life of ease and comfort? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. There's nothing wrong with having ease. There's nothing wrong with convenience. But if we seek to trade convenience for the will of God, then there's a problem. I don't want to be so blinded by my convenience factor that I cannot see the Lord's alternative plan for me. Because here's mine. And the Lord's may look completely different. And studies have shown the Lord's plan is always better. Always. Always. But Lord, how come this didn't work out? And how come that? And why am I in this? And you name it. <laughs> and then you get through that time. and You're like, oh, that's great. You know, I was thinking about this on the way because Ruth was bringing you know, some uh, things for the bookstore. And, you know, we had ordered some things uh, for a conference that were supposed to be a certain size, but then they were delayed and then they never came. So we had to order some different, uh, you know, things, which come to find out ended up being the perfect size because the ones that were delayed were completely wrong and that would have messed up everything. And, and, and I don't even know if I'm even communicating this clearly enough, but that the Lord had all the details, and even allowed a massive inconvenience that caused a lot of headache and stress to happen. Because if that would have come through, we would have been in such a bad spot. But the Lord stopped that. He delayed it. We had to look for an alternative substitute, found it. It ended up working out just great. And then afterwards, you look back and say, Lord, you had it all, all planned out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you delayed those things. And so a delay, an inconvenience turned into the very thing that caused us to praise the Lord and just laugh to ourselves thinking, wow, Lord, thank you for inconveniencing us in that area. Thank you for causing that massive shipping delay. It would have been way worse if it would have arrived on time because we would have been in a very bad spot. So who knows but God alone what great things can come when we least expect it. And so it was, verse 6, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So the Son of God has no room in the inn. And it's ironic because still today, at Christmas, there's no room for Jesus in people's lives. And we can fit so many other things in because we know how crazy it can be around Christmas time. We fail to prioritize keeping Jesus the center of our Christmas season. You know, I was thinking about whoever owned the inn that had no room for Jesus. Could you imagine the great blessings that would have come to that home or to that business and those that were running that inn if Jesus would have been born there? 
I mean, could you imagine if you were the owner of the inn and you're like about to go to bed and your wife's already, you know, under the covers and you're about to go join her and go to sleep and you, if you knew afterwards the son of God needs a place, you would have been like, honey, out of bed, we're sleeping in the barn, you guys take this place. And forever that would have been known the place of Christ's birth. Would you like the Jesus suite? Because that's where they stayed. How did they miss out on that opportunity? Instead, it was, hey, sorry, we're all out of room. We filled our in with every single thing to the point that we didn't have enough room or time for Jesus. And so instead, God incarnate was born in a stable in the open air surrounded by livestock. God came to his finest creation, human beings, and there was no room, so he made company of the animals that he created. In Colossians, it says that all things were created through Jesus. So you're looking at God in the flesh, surrounded by the animals that he created there in the Garden of Eden for Adam to tend to. In John 1.3, it says all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. And so Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. He was laid in a feeding trough as a bed. You know, I know what feeding troughs look like. My uncle Zach had a ranch up in Oklahoma. Well, he has one Oklahoma, had one in Oklahoma, but in Fresno prior to that. And he raised cattle and all kinds of stuff. I mean, he was like John Wayne. He really was. He wore his cowboy hat. He had, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but that little, you know, stud that you kind of cinch up underneath your collar that hung down. And I mean, he was just a big belt buckle, cowboy boots and everything. And those feeding troughs were not clean. Hey, they were pretty gross, actually. I remember my brothers and I used to have to feed the cows these gigantic cow pills. I, I never knew where that term came from when you had to take your vitamins as a kid. And you're like, no, it's like taking a cow pill. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen what those look like. They laid them there in a feeding trough. Now, if you're honest with yourself, there is not a first-time mom today that would have ever considered a feeding trough as a place to lay a child. I mean, you don't get to that point until at least your third child, typically, and then you're like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> but in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so Jesus began his life associating with the base things of the world. And he made it a practice as he grew into a man that he would lay down his life for the world. Jesus often associated with sinners, tax collectors. He ministered to prostitutes, to Roman soldiers, to fishermen, to shepherds, religious hypocrites. He ministered to the rich and the poor, and he still does minister to people like you and me today. The reason for the season. And they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus was not an elitist, even though he was God. 
He didn't hang in the circles of the one percenters. He loves all mankind evenly, straight across the board, fairly and righteously. Those that think they're good, those that know they're bad, those that have hurt themselves, that have been in perversions, that have made mistakes, people that have ruined their lives, people that are successful. The playing field is level for everyone. God desires to have that relationship with us. This is what we celebrate every Christmas. As stressful as it may be to try to close out the quarter, to try to get those final sales in, to try to hit some of those final sales, hit those goals, meet those markers, all of it. We're reminded now simply that now that they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the field, watching over their flock by night, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger." This is the message to the shepherds. And often we are so painfully disturbed by our unpleasant circumstances that we completely forget that God is aware of every single detail of our lives. God, don't you care that Mary's pregnant and the Roman emperor who we despise is ruining our Christmas. Lord, we're about to travel 80 miles with my wife who's about to have a baby. Why, Lord? Oh, phew. We made it to Bethlehem. Thank you, Lord. I can't wait to get to our room and put our feet up. Oh, you know what it's like when you've been traveling a long time and you just want to go lay on your bed? How nice it is just to get to your, your room after you, you know, been on buses or traveled on an airplane or trains or whatever it might be. And then you get there and there's no room available. Lord, don't you care? Don't you see? Why would you allow this terrible inconvenience to take place? But through of all, through all of what Joseph may have wrestled with and taking care of his wife and doing the difficult things that were the right things, God was with him. And I want to encourage you as you wrestle with maybe your inconvenient circumstances, as you work through whatever it is that you're having to work through, as you do what is right and what is pleasing to the Lord, know that God is with you. The angels were watching Joseph and Mary. They were a pain, they were paying attention to their every move, everything, the difficulties, the blessings, the things that they wanted to do, the things that they had to do. And we know this to be true because they had all the information about the birth of Jesus his earthly parents, and even the fact that there was no room in that inn and that they were in a stable. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And suddenly in verse 13, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. As you endure, as you stay faithful, you bring great honor and glory to the Lord. As you do what is inconvenient because you know it's the right thing to do, it's the appropriate thing to do, it pleases God and that's why you've decided to do it when you don't feel like it, you bring glory and honor to the Lord. Their gigantic inconvenience led to the birth of Christ exactly where it was supposed to take place. The angels watched and they glorified God. And furthermore, Joseph and Mary's obedience brought people to Jesus. People flocked there. Their difficulties, their unfortunate circumstances were used by the Lord. Listen to me as we close, to usher in outcasts, to usher in the unfortunate into the presence of God. Some of the very first people to ever view God in flesh were the outcasts of society. Ushered into the presence of God. Your obedience to the Lord does that very same thing. As you live your life to please the Lord through even those difficult times, you are allowing people to see Christ in you. Some that are even the furthest away, they would never go to church or never hear anything about it, or they'll see you. And you can usher people into the presence of God because it's not about self-centeredness. It's about Christ-centeredness. That is the reason for our Christmas season. And so today, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you peace. Stay strong in the Lord. Keep doing what you know is pleasing to the Lord, what is right. There are a lot of people that are angry, frustrated, scared, lonely. And you have the great opportunity this Christmas when people are vulnerable, when people are hurting and they're open and they're looking for some hope in a world that's not given it to them, that they might see Jesus in you, and you can usher them into the presence of God through the way you live your life. Shining as a light in the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's living inside of you. And so every Merry Christmas, every smile, every preferring somebody before yourself, do all in the name of Jesus. And you will find that it brings great honor and glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would please bless us today. We need you, Lord. Would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? 
Lord, I ask that if necessary, we would even have our perspectives changed, that there would be a true Holy Spirit-led paradigm shift. That we may view those around us through your eyes. Give us wisdom in how to communicate to those who are very difficult people. Give us wisdom and love and tact and grace to interact with those that maybe have a lot of prickly bits to their personality. I ask, Lord, that as we have been forgiven much and loved much, that we would forgive much and share your love much with those around us. And so, Lord, we ask for a great day today. We ask for your peace, which surpasses all understanding. And we ask that we would be your hands and your feet, that we would be the mouth that speaks forth the truths from your word, And may we embrace, Lord, those things that you've called us to do, and may we be found faithful. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 